0: you're drowned by my perfect fire my perfect life the podcast the podcast welcome to the podcast the podcast my name is father peter father peter i don't feel like it's gonna go with the music at all. but you know
1: what it i, I don't know what Maybe our listeners think but i you know when i edit it and i go through this you're usually singing at the beginning of a podcra- podcast podcast uh-huh. and 90% of the time it,
0: it strangely goes with the music I don't know if it's the providence of God or what, but somehow it works. Did I ever tell you about when I actually went to a... Because it's a boy and his dog, right? What's the... <laughs> kite. A boy and his a kite. A boy and his kite. Boy yeah. and his kite. Um, I, I actually, Sorry, can we pause and
1: just say that... This is the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. I'm Scott Powell. I'm Father Peter Musset. and
0: and I okay. was actually at the Boyne's concert. Uh, uh, Dave I was, Wilton. I was I was listening, and I was listening to this song, and I was like, I was like, man, this is a great song. I was like, why do I know this song? <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> <And I>
1: just, <laughs> it was a con- like his concert. Right?
0: It was a, it was a concert, mm-hmm. and, and, it was, a, our and it was our opening theme. Song. It was opening song.
1: I've made, heard this before. It made me so happy. Dude, <laughs> no. even? Know. That's awesome. Like, I think were you with Keenan? Uh-huh. Somebody somebody sent me like a, a video on their phone of that song, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool, dude! It was it was
0: totally awesome." Uh, Dave Wilton. buy Dave Wilton's music, you guys. A boy in his kite. He, uh, I think he's great. Yeah. So everybody, we are so excited you're back with us at the podcast for the fourth Sunday of Ordinary Time, and it's um, it's uh, it's wintry here, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. It's warming up a little bit. I know, but I mean, wait it's a second. Snowed.
1: Are we going to be one of those podcasts that's talking about weather? <laughs> I think we can do better than that. So
0: Deuteronomy is our first reading today. <laughs> oh, <man.
1: laughs> no, I didn't mean to dissuade you from fun fun topics.
0: I just you know, you're like, oh, the weather's really nice today. Dude, well, we always talk about the weather, man.
1: Yeah, we do. We do. we talk about the weather. Because it's a bolder.
0: Lot. It's like it's like everybody wishes that they were here with us.
1: Everybody wishes they were here, although I kind of wish I was near an ocean right now.
0: Dude, I want to be in the like Oh, you're going to
1: be near an ocean tomorrow.
0: I know. I'm going to be in San Francisco.
1: A Frans- cold ocean, though.
0: Fans San Francisco. What now? <laughs> <laughs> One more time? Dude, I think that's my how my dad uses San Francisco is San what my dad... San Francisco. Tell us where you're going to be tomorrow. I'm going to be in San Francisco. Why? Uh, for the March for Life, mm. or the Walk for Life. West Coast. Um, I'm going to go out there. There's like 60 of us. That's we awesome. got uh, Sisters for Life. We got CFRs, which is awesome and then they're gonna come and i and think a bunch of our students our a bunch of our students oh yeah <laughs> not, not, not least of which um and what's gonna be fun is that you and i are gonna be hosting a bunch of monks over this next week after yes. the week after this weekend absolutely and, and your birthday's on saturday that's what
1: they say thanks for telling everybody hey mm-hmm. happy birthday Thank to you. you okay all right all right uh, i'm feeling my mortality more and more lately dude
0: isn't that the truth? Somebody,
1: it was one of our students, or maybe it was Focus or somebody, they was, I was feeling pretty good about myself one day, and they were asking how old I was, mm-hmm. and they were like, wow, you don't look anywhere near that <laughs> oh. old, and oh. they meant it totally complimentary, oh. like, you look really great, you look really young, but it just reminded me that, oh, oh by the way, you're not. <laughs> I was like, oh. oh. man.
0: Oh. Well, speaking of old, speaking our first reading <laughs> is from Deuteronomy today. Good work, Father 18, Peter. 15 to 20. Deuteronomy 18, 15, 20. Very
1: good. Uh, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 95, verse 1 through 2, 6 through 7,
0: and 7 through
1: 9. Then, our response itself is coming from 8.
0: Gotta eight. slip that in there. Do not harden your hearts when at Mirabah and on the day of Manasseh in the desert. Massa.
1: Manasseh was something else. <laughs> Miraba <laughs> and Massa.
0: M- you said really? Mirabah
1: and Manasseh. Manasseh? It's Mirabah and Massa.
0: Dude, okay. So, and then our second reading is from the, the, the Corinthians. Manasseh
1: was one of the twelve tribes. Massa means to quarrel. More on that later. But so basically, what you're doing is you're quarrelling with me. I'm
0: massing with you. You do? yes. Oh, but dude. I, but I'm Quit massing with me. <laughs> oh, hey, okay. well, oh, dude, that's awesome. Oh. First Corinthians seven thirty-two to thirty-five. Very good. And the gospel coming from the Gospel of Mark chapter one verse twenty-one through twenty-eight. Dude, okay, so so Deuteronomy. Whenever I'm in Deuteronomy, yes. I always feel like, I don't know, just old school, man. I just feel like I'm just I'm tapping into something deep and old. Oh, good. Like me on my birthday. Like, <laughs> on your birthday. Is that yeah, what you're like, getting at? Like, I'm, like, a year,
1: I'm like a year and a half younger than you, so at least I've always got that. Yeah, dude. All right, here's what I have to say about Did you know that Deuteronomy is one of my favorite books of the Bible? Dude. we've talking about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice, I actually did know that. Yeah, okay.
1: I think I'm sure I've said it before. It, it's and part of why I like i always root for the underdog, and it's one of those books that gets written off too much because you're like Deuteronomy, it's boring and there's numbers. It's and a stuff. book of law, dude. Yeah, it's not. It's a book about the heart, and uh, it the the Hebrew word for heart is the word levav, l e v a v, levav. The heart shows up more in the book of Deuteronomy than any other book in the Bible, which tells us that the God who is giving us laws and rules and norms to live by, ultimately is doing it because he wants to win our hearts. Yeah, And the book is essentially about, um, if you put it in context, it is uh, the Exodus generation has sort of begun to die off, right? The people who came out of Egypt, who witnessed the, the plagues, you know, the Passover, crossed the Red Sea, all of this stuff has happened. Um, They were unfaithful to God. They worshiped a golden calf. They did all these things. They're beginning to die out now. And Moses is looking toward a new generation of Israelites who are about to go into the promised land, um, hopefully be the people that God has begun and tried and wants to establish as his own people after his own heart. And this is a book encouraging them and strengthening them and instructing them on who God wants them to be.
0: Mm. And
1: uh, for the uh, in terms of salvation history, the book of Deuteronomy is often seen as Israel's covenant constitution. So, as we would look at as Americans, our constitution, this is how the Jewish people looked at the book of Deuteronomy. That's the importance of it. I think it's quoted. I had some something in my notes about how many times it's quoted in the Bible, and it's an absurd amount of times that it's actually. I think in the New Testament alone, in the Gospels alone, or something, it's like eighty-three times Whoa. that Jesus or one of the apostles quotes. Uh, Deuteronomy, which just tells uh-huh. you how important it actually yeah, is. Yeah, like that's critical. Yeah, and these are the instructions on on how to live. It is like I said, the covenant constitution. It is catechesis, essentially. We talked about catechesis before the podcast. This is God saying, "This is." And you know, we actually we, do we, this. we talked about catechesis. We talked about chiasmus. <laughs> we talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah, we did. We have weird conversations before the podcast. <laughs> no kidding. Um, but uh, I lost my train of thought. Dang it, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I didn't mean to uh, oh, sacrifice you all I was the gonna altar say is, of catechesis. <laughs> it's okay. All I was going to say is sometimes you know we look at stuff like this and we see it as dry law code and oppressive like laws and rules that are put on us. But it's not that. It is instructions to live. That's what catechesis is. Instruct mm. me on what I need to do to mm. live a fruitful and happy life. Right. And that's what God's doing here. And we're showing up, our reading is coming, you know, really smack in the middle of this. Uh, One of the things we talked about, I feel like we talked about this a few months back. Deuteronomy 17, which comes right before our reading today, has these instructions for the future king of Israel. So someday you're going to grow into a people. Someday you're going to be a nation, you're going to have a king. And the king is supposed to look a particular way. Um, you know, he's supposed to write down the whole book of Deuteronomy, literally keep it by the side of his throne to remind himself of what kind of a people they're supposed to be. It's the uh, the section where it says, you know, every king of Israel should not have too many wives, too many weapons and too, many, uh, too much wealth. Right. All these instructions. And then it goes on to talk about what sort of priests you ought to have. And then it goes on to talk about what sort of prophets you ought to have. And I was reading this this week. And it's hard for me to read this outside of the context of Jonah, which we talked about last week, you know,
0: our reading. Oh, yeah. Who oh, was yeah.
1: the the unfaithful prophet par excellence in a lot of way. Right. <laughs> I mean, he was the one who, who Dude, his d- job it was to to spread God's word and he runs from God's word.
0: Which, by the way, Father, Father Kirby Longo, he said, man, I totally I like totally switched up my homily. He's like, uh, he's like, but I disagree with you about uh, Jonah. And I said, send me what you disagree with. What and does he disagree with? He didn't send me Funny nothing, Kirby. dude. Come on. With you or with us? With us. Okay. Cause, you collectively. Because, like, I mean, like, ultimately, when it comes down to us, we- We are one unified body. We are one <laughs> body, one body mm-hmm. online. In- oh, jeez. <laughs> Lord help us. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we just threw Father Kirby under the bus. Yeah, so hey. let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do, I don't think there's a, it's not coincidental that we just, we read a story about an unfaithful prophet and then we're giving a story. We're given a a, a, um, a text this week about what a faithful prophet is. And so you have Moses. Remember what the context? Moses is standing before this new generation. They're about to go in the land. They're looking toward what it's going to be like when we become a people, a, a nation, a kingdom, right? And he said, "There's going to be a prophet like um, a prophet like me," says Moses. Will the Lord your God raise up for you? Because remember, mm. Moses isn't going to lead the people into the promised land. That was me. He's not going to lead the people into the promised land. He's actually going to unfortunately die before they go in. And so it's going to be Joshua who will lead the people. So on a certain level, this is a prophecy about Joshua. And on a certain level, it's an encouragement for the people to listen to Joshua. I mean, I'm I'm convinced that uh, I'm I'm talking to somebody about the book of Joshua tomorrow, uh, one of our students. And I've become convinced that Joshua has one of the hardest jobs in the Bible because following
0: following up from Moses, he's the one who has to go in place of Moses. Dude, we always talk about that with priests. Like, yeah. some, like sometimes, like like Father <laughs> Father Sean came here, and I was like, dude, I'm just a big personality. I don't mean to be. <laughs> It's it's not like I signed on for this and somehow I like had this intention to be a big personality. It just happened over time. It's because of your big hair. It's my big hair and my sharpening stone <laughs> and like you know it just happens and i and yeah. I felt bad out like and I just kept on trying to minimize stuff to be like dude you're you're not don't try to be me you just <laughs> got to be you because because like but all priests yeah. kind of have to do this sure like, absolutely like and bishops for that matter. Yes,
1: I mean in a big way. Yeah, popes, <laughs> you know what I mean. I mean, yeah, it's it's it, this is a this is a sort of universal problem in a
0: certain sense. It, you know, it's funny is I got a text from um from Bishop Walker Nicholas today, yeah. and he says, uh, "Thanks, uh, Father Peter. Just remember, I was the original Father Fro." And he sent me this picture, dude. No, of him with this fro. No, look at that. Look at is that. A nice fro. Yeah, dude. So this is for Bishop Walker Nicholas of Sioux City, Iowa, dude. All right. You like, Here's dude, the, the best.
1: Uh, bishop bishop nicholas you confirmed me i owe so much of my spiritual life to you on so many profound levels but i also met father peter when he was in college and his <laughs> fro was like three times that size
0: <laughs> with
1: every bit of due
0: respect <laughs> but, but you were fa- you were peter had, big hair i was peter big hair. he may
1: have been father fro but you were peter big hair and this is anyway, how, this we'll how we roll. There. We'll leave that there.
0: But this is the thing is is that Joshua's gig to follow up after a person like Moses, yeah. who like everybody was like it's it's like He parted the Red Sea for Pete's sake. I mean this is <laughs> he's a big deal. It. That's it. Yeah.
1: So he's going to, but again, he's saying he's going to raise, God, God is going to raise. It's not me just choosing the guy I think is best. God's going to raise somebody up from among your own kin. And to him, you got to listen. And this is exactly what you requested. This is an interesting one. This is exactly what you requested of the Lord, your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly. When you said, let us not again hear the voice of the Lord, our God, nor see his fire anymore, lest we die. Mm. Do you remember, do do you know what uh, Moses is referring to there? No. Do you remember that scene? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah,
0: where where uh, all of a sudden everybody's hearing the voice of God, and they're like yeah, directly, so, and it's, it's almost like Jesus got, gets on the PA system and has a direct line to everyone. Yeah. So, and they're so, like, please, would you stop?
1: Well, yeah, so con- contextually, so Moses went up on Mount Sinai <laughs> to get the Ten Commandments, right? Yep. And everyone is hearing the Ten Commandments in the second person singular in their ear. They're like, you, Father Peter Masit, shall not steal. You, um... I'm, I'm naming listeners in my head. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But we can, you, know, we you we have so some and so, shout outs to do. We can just name them. <laughs> just name them. Carrie Floyd. Shall not commit adultery. <laughs> you, you know, but, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is freaking us out. We're hearing God's voice. And so they tell Moses, we don't want God to talk to us anymore. This is too much. It's horrifying. You and going, you go get the message, bring it back to us and we'll listen to you. Right. And which, which is, uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, they're saying we need an intercessor. We're not ready for the presence of God to be that close, which is an interesting mm. insight, I think, into the course of salvation history. Mm. Because apparently at that point in salvation history, they were not ready for the presence of God to be that close to them. Mm. But what is God's intent? Well, his 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 answer is okay. He actually Moses quotes and he says, God says that that's okay. This is well said. That's right. fine. So I'll I'll raise up a prophet. I'll give an intermediary. Right. But there is gonna come a time, God says in his deep within his heart where I'm actually going to come among you. And not only will you hear my voice in your ears because I will become incarnate in the person of Jesus, but you will actually receive me into your very bodies. And in a very real way, while this statement of Moses is talking about Joshua and then talking about all the prophets who will come after, who will, will share with the people of Israel the, the voice of the Lord and tell them what's, what's going on in the heart of the Lord, it is in a very real way about ultimately about Jesus. And you remember what Jesus's name is in Hebrew? New Moses. No, his name though. Yeshua. Yeshua,
0: which means Joshua. Joshua. Oh my goodness! He's, I dude, why have I? It's so absurd that I forget. These no, no, things. no! It's 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 embedded. It's deep. So he's talking
1: about one Joshua, but he's also talking about the second Joshua, Jesus himself. Mm. So this is, this is the way the prophecy works though, right? There's a, there's a proximate, um, there's a proximate fulfillment yeah, he's talking about Joshua, that that guy, but there's also a remote fulfillment when Jesus will ultimately come the prophet of prophets, the King of Kings. I mean, this whole section of Deuteronomy, he's talking about your future King, your future priests, your future prophets which all, of course, is leading to the future priest, prophet, and king. It's all setting the stage for Jesus himself. And so Moses, yeah, he's talking about Joshua, but he's also talking about something so far beyond even Moses' understanding um, that it's it's coming. And again, uh the scriptures, all of the scriptures are meant to teach us. And oftentimes they're meant to teach us what not to do. And so last week we had a great example of the opposite of this, a prophet who didn't listen and it didn't do what the Lord commanded, didn't do what the Lord asked, actually
0: tried to do the opposite of it. Well, what's funny about funny about um, Jonah is that like he, the parable when Jesus says, you know, uh, there's two kids. We work in the vineyard today. No. And yes, but one doesn't and the other does. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a certain sense of that. We, he says, "Who did the father's will? Yeah. The one who said no, but then did but it. But then eventually went, did it. Yeah, I mean, he, which, which Jonah does. But yes. then, but then the saints say, any delay in the Lord's will is disobedience. Is disobedience to the no, Lord's no, will. That That's that was actually really a a, 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 a center point of focus at this at the SLS. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was for oh. some reason. Well, at least I heard it a few times. Which I made, heard it recently too, but I didn't contextualize it in SLS. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I I kept on hearing it, which is like." lord have i'm like i'm like is this what i'm hearing i guess it's like it's for me but it's for everybody it's like lord no like the lord has something to do right now so you're going to show up and the point is
1: with jonah yeah he is disobedient and he is delayed and all those things But the beauty of it is that God's will is going to be fulfilled anyway, even despite him, which actually leads us, I think, really perfectly into the responsorial psalm, if you're ready to keep going. Do not harden your hearts at Maripa. Well, the response itself, though, I mean, is an answer to what we're just saying. If today you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, harden not your hearts. Don't, you know, mull about it, get ticked off about it, grumble about it for a while, and then Mm -hmm. eventually come around. I mean, God's still going to use that. Yeah, I mean, Jesus' parable is right. If the person is unfaithful, says no, and eventually comes around, great. God's going to use that. Right. But yet, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Listen to him. Right. And if you hear God speaking through Joshua, listen. And you know what? Even if you hear God speaking through a faulted prophet like Jonah— Harden not your hearts, because mm. even that God can use. And so it's it's a you know, there's many messages here. If you're the prophet, listen to what God is asking you. Follow your vocation. If you're the one who is receiving the prophecy, even if it's through a fault a faulted prophet, listen. Right. Because God's going to speak. He's going to work. If you d- today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. I mean, I think one of the um, the keys to the entirety of the Christian life is forming a heart. Forming our conscience, forming our hearts in such a way that when we hear the voice of the Lord, even if it's through a faulted human voice, we will be able to recognize it and respond. Yes. That is what the Christian is called to do. Right. To listen, to to train oneself to hear the voice of the Lord, no matter where
0: it shows up. And that's what this psalm is encouraging us to do. Well, well, it's interesting because the last line it yeah. says, um, "But if a prophet presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded, mm. or speaks in the name of other guys," oh, you're back in Deuteronomy. Told, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I just went back for just yeah, a yeah, second yeah, yeah. because mm-hmm. it triggers within my heart. It's like, no, if somebody's trying to speak in the name of the Lord, or if somebody's trying to speak, like, we have this opportunity to, like, everything works for the good of those who love God. And if you mm. are willing to, to open your heart and to allow God to be the king of the fabric of reality, mm. the king of everything the that's the bunting place, of reality. The bunting <laughs> <laughs> I like I like I like flag bunting yeah, in case you, you guys are wondering why you you're messing with my bunting. I'm not messing with your bunting. <laughs> Whatever, dog. And so like <laughs> so yeah, I, I think your point is lighting me up because oh, good. I totally agree. Oh lovely. We have to be attentive to how God is gonna speak. Yeah. And he's going to do it in some really weird ways. He is. Um,
1: yeah, he is. And speaking of weird ways, well, that could be a great segue into the second reading, but but not yet because you keep mentioning, and I think it's important to note that that last stanza of the response oral psalm. Yeah. It's a stanza, right? Um, oh, that today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts at Meribah uh, as at Meribah and in the day of Massa, in the desert where your fathers tempted me, they tested me, although they had seen my works. Do you know what that's a reference to? Do you remember that that story? Is that the one where they hit the rock twice? No, you're really close. Okay. Um, it's not where they hit the rock twice. That Moses does that later on because he's ticked off. It's actually the first time. that When he hits the rock twice is the second time they show up. So this is pretty early on. I think it's uh, is, it, is it Exodus 17 or something like that. Where they are, you know, they've just crossed the Red Sea. They're out in the desert. It's we're still pretty early on in the in the desert wanderings. Golden calf sin hasn't happened yet. Uh, Mount Sinai hasn't happened yet. They're wandering around. They're hot. They're hungry. They're thirsty, and they're whining and they're complaining and they're like, Moses, you stink. Why did you bring us out here? They're hardening their hearts, even though they've heard the voice of the Lord, but they've heard it in the context of something that's really hard. Because the will of God was to bring them out into a hard, relentless, unforgiving place. And they say it stinks and it's uncomfortable and I don't like it out here. And God says to Moses, fine, go over to that rock, strike it with your staff, and water's going to come out. Right? Right. And later on, he'll do it out of anger and he'll do it twice and that, that whole thing happens. This is the first time. And, um, he gives, and and they have water and they have, uh, you know, refreshment. But yet they named that place Meribah, Meribah and Massa because they argued with God and they quarreled with him. And it was almost God begrudgingly saying, fine, here's your water. And I always wonder, like, did God have something better planned? Like, other than just here's a rock with some water squirting out of it. Like, I, I don't know. But he's like, fine, stop whining. But
0: it's this moment where... You that's spoken like such a true dad.
1: <laughs> because, yeah, I have we have a lot of Maraba and Massa spots in our life. Yeah, no, I, 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 rightly. And and I'm reading this, and I'm just uh, the only thing I can think of. And I don't know what this has to do with anything else. The only thing I can think of when I'm reading this is I'm like, man, I know how this story ends. And if you think they're being disobedient with the rock having water, just wait a couple chapters. And they, yeah, everything's things things are gonna, gonna get. And, I, but i'm fascinated by the fact that this is what the psalmist turns to for to to highlight their disobedience
0: i, I was i i uh, am uh, reading the narnia books for the first time really yeah i well i uh, i mean i i know lion witch in the wardrobe yeah. cuz of the movie but um and, but I never read them and so I read uh, uh the magician and his nephew because it's magician's nephew yeah magician's <laughs> <laughs> that's, fine. that's a different book <laughs> And um there's a certain point and uh, spoiler mm. alert if you haven't read it Uh-oh um there's this moment where Uncle Andrew uh refuses to hear uh the voice of Aslan. Mm um, and and because of his refusal to acknowledge that the lion would be singing, he <laughs> Which is could, not something you see every day. No, no. I mean, it's it, it, well, this is the whole thing that we're trying to get at yeah. here yeah, yeah, yeah. is that, um, Is that he refuses to believe a lion would be singing. And mm. in his refusal, it, the lion becomes unintelligible along with all the other beasts. Oh, wow. And so in, in a certain sense, the song of creation and the song of love that's uttered from the creator becomes unintelligible. If we harden ourselves to if it. we harden ourselves to it. Oh. And so like, and so uncle Andrew is this kind of like wow. image for us of, wow. of those who are un become unreceptive to reality. And thus cannot understand reality. You can't understand wow. anything, but yet there's the song of all of creation that speaks and sings, which which we're trying to convince you of right now. Yeah, well, which is what the psalm is... Singing to hardening you. your hearts at Mirabem Mass.
1: You saying will like, not be able to understand reality if you harden your hearts like this.
0: Yeah, you don't understand yeah. that this rock is actually the, this like this for image of the salvation that you're going to receive. And that the wilderness is is this mm. thing that's actually going to sing for all of history. The wilderness will be your classroom.
1: It's not a pleasant one, but right. it's what's meant to actually teach you in that moment.
0: Yes. Which we're going to come back to that point. And and that song, though a sparse, difficult song, is a song nonetheless. It was very poetic of you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. You,
0: were you quoting something? No, I was it just saying. It sounded like a quote. Dude, that's, that's a compliment. Hey, thank a... you. I've been reading Elements of Eloquence right, no, by Mark right. Forsyth.
1: That's what I assumed. Yeah. Second reading. <laughs> Speaking of confusing sparse forests. <laughs> oh, <heard> dude. about <laughs> wildernesses.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, oh, man. I mentioned this last week. I do think there's a very specific um, societal context to this passage, but we don't really have time or space or, or, or liturgical space on Sunday to actually go into it. So we kind of have to make sense of it on its own terms, right? Basically, well,
0: yeah, I mean— But I, I think I have can, a thought.
1: You can give like one—we could give a brief. Yeah, you know, of know? course. And I mentioned it last week. I mean, this this shows up in the context of Paul's giving advice about marriage. He's And, and he says at the beginning of it, this section— he says what I'm about to tell you, Corinthians in chapter seven. This is my opinion. This is not a perennial um dogma or something like that. This is my opinion as a as a wise spiritual leader based on the facts at hand. Right. He says, based on whatever's happening, he says, in light of the what he calls the impending distress or the uh the present disaster, some translations. Based on what's happening in Corinth, and historically we're not sure what he's talking about exactly, you know, the letters are always reading somebody else's mail, which is always the way we have to kind of go into them and figure, try to figure out, okay, wh- what's the context here? I'm hearing one half of a conversation. And we can we can make it sensible, but it takes a little work. Paul's letters are difficult. Yes. Um But he's saying in light of something that's happening and and historians and scholars think maybe there's a a massive persecution that's about to start. We know that there is a huge Christian persecution that's about to get heated up in this time period. We also know there was a massive famine in this part of the world about this time. Either way, things are going to get real hard. And I'm reminded, of course, of Israel in the wilderness. There's going to be a temporary period of time where things are real hard. Right. And in that time period, you got to look at the world a little bit differently because mm. God's going to teach you. And so he says in that context, um, he's talking about you know, maybe, maybe it's not wise. Uh, he's giving advice about marriage and whether or not someone should or should not get married at a particular point in time. And so th- there is a context, and that's just a word about that. But, but if you read it, what he says is this. Brothers and sisters, I want you free of anxieties. An unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is anxious about the things of this world, how he may please his wife. And he's divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is anxious about the things of the Lord so that she may be both holy in body and spirit. A married woman, on the other hand, is anxious about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm telling you this for your own benefit. I don't want to impose any kind of restraint on you, but for the sake of propriety and inheritance to the Lord without distraction." What I take from that, again, I think there's an historical context that he's speaking to this congregation about, but what I take from that, in light of the other readings, is a very realistic way of looking at the world that says, look, if you enter into something like marriage, it's going to be very hard. And you're going to have to serve your spouse. And you're going to have to sacrifice yourself. And it's going to be difficult at times. And I want you to understand that. And if you don't choose to go to marriage, if you choose to be a priest or a a celibate or something, there's going to be lots of its own difficulties. And you're going to have its own devotions. He's giving a statement of realism that if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, and if the Lord is calling you to marriage, if the Lord is calling you to celibacy, you need to look at it realistically. And you need to be prepared for... The challenges that lie ahead. And you got to ask yourself, okay, why is he saying this? Well, because apparently the Corinthians are really struggling with what marriage means. Mm. Apparently the Corinthians are really struggling with what relationships are. Apparently Mm. the Corinthians are struggling with utter selfishness. And he's saying, look, God has a plan for your life. God has something that he's asked of each of you. He wants you to hear his voice. But if you hear his voice, you got to be prepared for what he's going to call you to do. Mm. And it's going to be hard. And I think that's a a, a perfectly fitting context in the other readings that we have. Listen to the voice of Joshua. But what Joshua is going to ask you to do or what God is going to ask you to do through Joshua is going to be hard. You're going to have to go to battle. You're going to have to cross some rivers. You're going to have to settle a new land. It's going to be challenging. And you've had challenges before, he says to Israel. Remember that one time you were out in the wilderness and you were really thirsty and you started complaining and grumbling and begging to go back to your slavery in Egypt? Yeah, it's going to be like that. (laughs) Things are going to be hard. Don't forget where you've come from. So listen to the voice of the Lord, hear him. And if you hear him, do not harden your hearts because it's going to go much worse for you. But if you do hear the voice of the Lord and you listen to him and you follow him, don't be unrealistic about the challenges that you're going to face. It's going to be hot. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be a desert. You're going to be thirsty, but don't grumble because God is using
0: that for teaching you and he's going to bring great good.
1: Does that make any sense? It does. What, so I we, think there's we, a universal we talk, context.
0: We talk about that in shorthand within the church as like, "Hey, I'm really in the I'm really in a dry period in prayer." Yeah, yeah. I uh, am, you know, I'm struggling. I I don't really have a sense of the Lord. Oh man, the Lord loves to use the dry periods. But this is this is exactly what it like.
1: What he loves the desert. He does. That is one thing salvation history
0: teaches us. If there's one thing that God loves, it's the desert. And and this this context that you're trying to draw out to to say that like there is uh, uh, my dad has a shorthand and I've been thinking about it a lot recently which is um, has he seen a doctor about that ah shorthand yeah Yeah, it was silly I I regret it immediately he's uh, definitely seeing a court clerk about it shorthand ah Uh, okay. okay so um uh. Is that uh, it? It says you, you can either suffer doing the will of the Lord or suffer avoiding the will of the Lord. Yeah, right. Very it, it, like, but it's funny, as a celibate, I read that and I say, um, you know, for those of you who are, who are unmarried, remain as such so you don't have to be anxious about anything but pleasing the Lord. And I'm like, ooh, the danger is the anxiety about being able to please your own self. And to say, like, oh, these are my desires versus, like, actually spending the time in prayer to say, like, no, I'm going to actually be attentive to what God has. I mean, because I'm on mission. I'm free. I've already died with Christ, and the life that I live is no longer my own. As a married person, I actually have more fear reading this as a
1: celibate person than as a married person. I mean, he's saying for married people, like you need to worry about the things of the world and your wife, you know, I have a mortgage, all these things as a celibate person. He's saying, you worry about the things of the Lord. And if I'm a celibate person, I'm like, Oh shoot. Is that what I'm doing? (laughs) Like you've just basically told me exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Am I, am I living up to that?
0: Right. That's kind of scary. Yeah, because selfishness creeps in whether you're married or you're celibate. Exactly right. That's the point. And kids and wives and husbands have a tendency to defeat that glorious selfishness. It's hard to be selfish. With with the proximity of (laughs) need. Yeah, yeah. Of course, so does a parish. So does a parish, though. But that's the thing, because we
1: call you father, not... (laughs) <laughs> for symbolic reasons,
0: yeah, and he says, "I'm telling you this for your own benefit, yeah. not to impose restraint, but for the sake of propriety, adherence to the Lord, without distraction." Yes, we like, like, because as as a married person, like, if you can make your lives about the Lord, then then you then like, I mean, it's like uh, you introduced me to Catechism 1534. Mm. These two vocations, marriage and the priesthood, are a, orders. Holy orders are disposed to the salvation of others. others. And if they affect personal salvation, it is because they are at first at the service of others.
1: Blew my mind when yeah. I first
0: read that because I thought,
1: okay, priests said, you know, holy orders, that's about the salvation of other people. If I get married, my job is the salvation of my spouse and my kids. Catechism says, uh uh-uh, uh, that's not the gig. Your marriage is meant to be for the salvation of the world. Right. Yeah, it's a pre it's it's a given that you're supposed to get yourself and your spouse to heaven. Your marriage is supposed to be an icon for the salvation of others. And I was like, "Oh no. <laughs> that's that's a big call." Yeah. The church gets this though. And Paul is basically mm. saying again, I think he's speaking to a people like us Who don't get marriage. Can you imagine a culture that doesn't get marriage or sexuality or relationships? I can't imagine. (laughs) He's saying, you guys don't get it. And I want you to see what this actually is. And he's very clear. I'm not imposing this as a restriction. It's for your benefit so that you get that you're going to have to die to yourself. You're going to have to sacrifice. But that's Mm -hmm. the point. And that's what I want you to get. Right. So I think
0: this is very much for us. I think that we live in an age now where we're starting to declare more and more married saints, mm. partly because it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. I think that maybe in ages past that there was a little bit more of something intrinsic to marriage that was understood. I don't know, yeah, though. That's interesting. And nowadays it's, bec- it's huh. becoming more and more um, confusing. And so we need higher and higher examples. Of, I think that's right. Of that nobility of I 1534. Think right. I think you're
1: absolutely right. And again, the church is saying, we've always seen this. We've been sitting here the whole time saying the same thing. And um, it would be great if the world would listen to us for once. Speaking
0: of the world listening to us. Mark. Mark, Chapter 1. Mark it out.
1: Mark, Mark, Mark. So here's what we need to know. Mark chapter 1, verse 21, where we're coming from, comes hot on the heels of last week's reading, which is the call of the first disciples. This is, by the way, um, Mark chapter 1, verse 21, this is the first public active ministry that Jesus does in the gospel of Mark. Um, have we talked about this? I just, no. I'll, I'll be really quick about this. Um, there's this great feature of all four gospels, right? Okay. Where you, you, you know, we have four gospels. It's kind of a crazy thing to think, right? That we have four different versions of the exact same story. Right. And you got to think like, that's probably like, that's not a very efficient way to write a Bible, but <laughs> the church in her great wisdom said, we're going to have four versions of the same story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yep. that are all telling the same exact story, the life, death, Passion, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ from slightly different points of view. And you can learn a lot about the points of view of each of the Gospels based on the first public act of ministry that you see Jesus do. That's a Have
0: we good, ever talked about this? Yeah, You know what? I, I, I remember learning this actually in school. I it's remember really this cool. in seminary. And like, um, I, I forget why they're important, but I know that you're supposed to pay attention to the first well, public act of ministry. Because it's going to tell you the theme of that gospel. Right, exactly. So for
1: Matthew, do you remember what the first thing in Matthew is? Public, publicly he does. Calling? Uh, no, in Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first kind of big public action he does. Why is that important? It's because Matthew is the teaching gospel. You get more of the content of Jesus' teaching and preaching in the gospel of Matthew than any of the other gospels. And it it was historically believed to be the church's first catechism. We actually have more copies archaeologically of Matthew than of any of the other gospels, which tells you the church, the early church spread it around because it was the first catechism. So it tells you the the theme of that gospel. Um, Luke, um, the first public thing he does is the, the the sermon at the synagogue of Nazareth. Yeah, where he pronounces a jubilee year, the freedom, the release from sin, which is going to be the theme of the book of Luke. Um, the first public thing he does in John is the wedding feast at Cana, and the theme of John and all of Johannine literature is going to be the marriage between uh, the, you know, the, the marriage wedding feast, feast the land. right? Yeah. So you can see the themes. So the first public thing he does in Mark. Is an exorcism. <laughs> Which you're like yeah, that's a pretty big one. Yep. Which tells you the theme of Mark. It Mark is the most action-packed, it's the shortest, it's the most like boom, boom, boom. But it's the one where Jesus is sort of in battle. It's the pick you up by your collar and and, and it's like, let's get going. Let's get moving, because there's a battle to fight. So right. the first public thing he does is this exorcism in the synagogue, right? Um, but we need to know that it comes immediately after the calling of those disciples, which comes immediately after, do do you know what Jesus has just come from? So the way that Mark portrays it, and obviously this is just his, his point of view, um, right before Jesus calls the apostles, as he did in our reading from last week, do you know where he's coming from? No. Based on the theme of the readings that we're getting this week. Bethany? No. He's coming from the wilderness. Oh, okay. He's coming from the desert. Remember yeah. the theme of the desert? The grumbling, the complaining, the, the hardness, the, the, the hardships, Massa, yeah. the Maribyrn Massa. He has just come from the desert where he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. The uh, uh, the best line, one of the, my favorite lines of all of the Bible is that one and verse. he was hungry. And he was hungry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like it when we sing it. I know.
1: <laughs> so he's just come from the hardship, right? From the suffering, where he is, in some theological sense, undone all of the unfaithfulness of the of the, the Israelite Israelites generation in the,
0: in the wilderness. Yeah,
1: he's been faithful precisely where uh, they were unfaithful. Where
0: Moses and him were unfaithful. What? Where Moses and uh, and Israel weren't faithful. No, yeah. No, Jesus was always faithful. Yes. Strike that. Right. Okay. Reverse <laughs> just it. To make sure. Sorry, though. I went well. He won't go on that one. No. No. You're good.
1: And then he comes out of the wilderness, calls some apostles, and starts performing an exorcism. And he, he, here's – so the context is really important with regards to the rest of these yeah, readings, right? absolutely. So he shows up in Capernaum. He's got these apostles now. And uh, it's the Sabbath. He goes in the synagogue. He teaches. Um, the synagogue is a unique uh, um, ceremony. In the synagogue, any person, any Jewish person had the right or the possibility of getting up and teaching in the synagogue. It, it, it's like – I mean, can you imagine the uh, – <laughs> Chaos. Can you imagine the chaos at St Thomas Aquinas? If, yeah, at homily time, anybody can just kind of come up and say their piece. Anyway, that's how the synagogue would work. So a little bit crazier than it is now. Scott, I would like it if you'd come up and talk. You'd like it if I came up and talk. I would. Thank you. Maybe not everybody though. Like, yeah, I've got something to no, add to that. I would love it if you'd come up and talk. I can't. I'm not allowed. I know. It's cool. Okay. Um, so the people are astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. That's a big theme of the Gospel of Mark. He teaches with authority and not like the scribes. Right. Do you know what that means, though? Because I think there's an historical context to this. Well, I mean, there's the seed of Moses. Yeah, I think there's something very much more practical about okay. how the scribes and the rabbis liked to teach. What it meant to be in, 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 a, in a very broad, broad stroked way, what it meant to be a good rabbi in the time of Jesus yeah. was your ability to quote other rabbis. Oh. You were a really good rabbi if you could cite rabbis that came before you and speak about you know the ancients and be like, as so and so said and maybe give your own twist and stuff. Oh. but you were a good rabbi if you could quote the ancients, which is a very wise thing to do, right? right? Go back on on you know the great ones. What I think Mark is saying is that Jesus isn't just quoting people who came before him. He's, he's giving new teaching. Right. And Which people is... are like, whoa, that's not what rabbis do. They quote other rabbis. This guy, he's just saying stuff on its own.
0: And he's nobody just, knows what to do with he's it. He's just making this up as he goes. <laughs> this boy just making
1: it up. But they but they love it. They're like, oh my gosh, this I is know. amazing. Because he is set aside. He is different than everybody else they've ever heard. And they're blown away. So so yeah, they're in the synagogue. He's teaching new things. And and again, I don't think they're new in the, the salvation history, but he's like, I'm not going to quote somebody else. I'm going to tell you what this means. I'm right. going to give my opinion right. on it or my, my teaching on this. And... In the synagogue, this guy with an unclean spirit, he cried out. Now, we don't know if this is some guy who's been, you know, maybe he's a regular attendee of this synagogue, or maybe he's some rando that heard Jesus was there and came just to just to call him out. We don't know. But some guy st- stands up and cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, says this man with a demon, the Holy One of God. And the Holy One of God is a term that's used most often in the Old Testament, for prophets. Mm. What does the first reading say? You got to listen to the voice of the prophets. Right. He's calling Jesus, this man with an unclean spirit, he's giving him a prophetic title. And he's saying, I hear what you're saying. The demon, make no mistake, hears and understands what the prophet is saying. Mm. The demon is hearkening to the call of the first reading. Wow. He's not hearkening to the psalm. Whereas you should not harden your hearts because I don't know the state of his heart, but he's hearing it. And there's something so, I don't know quite what to do with it, but there's something very powerful about that. And all the ways that we fail to hear the voice of God and we ignore or it falls on silent ears, but the demons, you better believe, hear it. Right. This guy hears exactly, and he recognizes it. And he's like, I know exactly who you are, O Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him. He, he, it's, it's an exorcism language. He says, quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed and went out with a loud cry, and everyone was amazed. And they were like, what the heck is going on? Right. We just came here to get the donuts afterwards. What is this? <laughs> this new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. They hear the voice of Yeshua and they obey him. Mm. as Deuter- Even the demons right. obey Deuteronomy. Mm. They might have hardened hearts while right. they're doing it, but they obey. And because of that, his fame spread everywhere through the whole of Galilee. I don't quite know what to do with it, but there's some interesting connections there. I, I think it is fairly convicting, though, for those of us who feel like, yeah, I don't hear the voice of the Lord in my life very often what does that mean? Why not? What's preventing us? What's blocking us? The demons hear the voice of the Lord. Right. What have I put in my ears that stops them up, that blocks them? Mm. Because for a lot of us, it's not just if you hear the voice of the Lord, don't harden your hearts. A lot of us just aren't hearing the voice of the Lord. We don't even get to the point of hardening our hearts or not because (laughs) we're not hearing anything. Yes. So what is stopping our ears? That's, I think, the spiritual question that these readings are making us ask. Is it because you're like those in the wilderness who are too busy complaining, who are, from the second reading, too busy thinking about yourself and your own worries and your own anxieties to hear the voice of the Lord? What is it? And I'm saying this convicting, you know, accusing myself, not you guys, more than anything else. What is blocking our ears is it my selfishness? Is it my complaining? Is it my discomfort? Is it my not really wanting to be in the desert anymore? What is it that's making me not here? Because these people here. Yeah, what'd you say? What? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: huh? <laughs> what'd you say again? No, like, that's it. I, I really am convicted by what you're saying. It's like, how do I actually allow myself to engage what the Lord has to say to me? and with courage because it takes courage to hear the voice of the Lord it does
1: take courage to hear the
0: voice of the yeah, Lord because
1: for the Hebrew in, and in Hebrew to hear or to listen Shema it's not a passive verb it's an active one right to hear is something you do it's not just something you passively receive right how do I actively hear the Lord how do I listen um yeah I don't know that 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 was always uh powerful for me Cause I, you know, we think of listening as just this passivity. I'm just going to sit here until the Lord sees or, or speaks. Right. right. Instead, said, no, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to try to find the voice of the Lord in my life. Where is he? Maybe he's in this rock that's pouring out some water that I'm kind of angry and grumbly about.
0: You know, one of the things I say, and, and then we'll leave you guys is, uh, the Lord is going to speak where you're tuned in. Mm. And, uh, And so where do you think that the Lord is going to speak in your life? Where are you anticipating him? Mm. Because the Lord is creative and he is the master of all reality and his song is sung into creation and um, you have to be willing to hear. And that's really the core of it. Because if you are unwilling to hear and you do not believe that the Lord speaks, then you will never believe that he you're going to receive his word. Right. That's but exactly he, right. he wants you to hear it and to transform your hearts. So, so maybe the deeper question is, do you believe that he will
1: speak to you? Right. Because a lot of us don't believe that he really will. So maybe that's
0: the ultimate call here for us. Yeah. And so there's lots of people, you know, um, uh m- James Minardi, Heidi Colberson, um, Christy Zagrzewski. Uh you're very <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You guys, God bless you for your support and your love of this ministry. Mm. And uh may you continue to listen with ears open to God in this podcast. Dude, you know what's freaky to me sometimes to think about, Scott? Tell me is that people hear the voice of the Lord in the podcast. Oh, and, that's horrifying. And I love it. I, it's humbling. It's, it's not, not horrifying. It, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's kind of scary because we're it's just scary. a couple of dudes in a basement oh, we're a mess. who a lot of people listen to and if we we could never host all of you at once. Not in this basement. It would get really, really awkward. It would be a little crap. Really quickly. little BO. Okay. Love you guys. God bless you. See you next week. Bye.
1: Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.